0: Is let your voice be heard right here on whcr 90.3 fm the voice of harlem
1: y'all haters corny with that illuminati mess paparazzi catch my
2: whcr 90.3 mm-hmm.
1: so fm new york I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Alabama. Bama. Oh, I like my baby hair with baby hair afro. Yeah, I like my Negro nose with Jackson Five straw. I earned all this money, but they never take the country out I me. Mean, I got hot sauce in my bag. Swag. I see it, I want it. I cut yellow. I I slept. I, slay. I, slay. I-
0: morning and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR Illuminati. 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem where we slay. Every single Sunday Red talking about lobster. politics, social issues, foreign policy. I got from a millennial, hot sauce in
2: my purse.
0: From a millennial perspective. Okay. Do you now, got hot
2: sauce in your purse?
3: Do you want to Do you repeat? think she's going to do that song later today? Yes, that has Wait, been confirmed. She Wait, she's the Super Bowl? Yes. She's the Super Bowl halftime show. Oh,
2: I thought it was Coldplay. It's, it's Coldplay and Beyonce. Yo, last time she performed, she knocked out the power at New Orleans. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. Lights went out. Oh,
2: praise White well, Jesus. you <laughs> know,
3: it could be a Janet Jackson repeat.
2: Oh, that's even better. <laughs>
3: I hope not. Yo,
2: white people were mad when that happened. J.G like,
3: oh. will be like, "Look away, look away oh from that screen. You're not allowed right. to look at that. You're that's only Chris, for me to look at."
2: Chris Rock is like, "When she's 20, community. When she's 30, that's her man's."
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we're back. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're happy to be here. If you didn't catch on already, my name is Selena Hill on Twitter and Facebook. No, Twitter and Instagram is Hill with an M-S, and on Snapchat is S.Hill2020. You sure about that? I am. You know, I get it confused, but I'm like, I remember the dot. Okay.
3: And uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your legal correspondent, although I don't know how much legal I'll be doing today. Um, Although, there's a lot of legal involved with uh, the Catholic Church scandal that we're going to talk about later, and even a bunch of legal involved with the... uh, Concussions. So that will be interesting. But you can find me on Facebook, Facebook dot com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's Elizabeth and I. Same on Twitter. You can comment on the fan page, Politically Preposterous. You can comment on the new venture, which is Modern Liberals. Uh, uh, so we got a lot of different places. Uh, let us know some feedback about uh, football and whether you think it's safe for your kids to be playing.
2: What's going on, beautiful people, all in the name of Harlem, New York, Bronx, in the U.S. of the United States of America. This is the one, the only, handsomest man to ever walk into the studio except for all the other men who walked in here my hair was the shiniest except for all the other people who have shiny hair and i have the nicest voice minus the people who have better voices than me and you can find me on let your voice be heard every sunday on the pc ones and twos because my name is stanley fritz and you can follow me on twitter at stan fritz you can go on instagram at dark skin swindle and if you snap that chat snap my chat back at dark skin <laughs> swindle because i'm handsome I think and i'm, you funny lost me. And I'm um, awesome
0: done with the gibberish
2: and i slay
0: Okay, now um, I I will give you a hand clap on that one, Slay. Okay, guys, so as Alyssa's teased, we have a great show lined up. We're starting off talking about, of course, football, because it's only right, Super Bowl Sunday. But we're going to be talking about the perspective of concussion disease, the concussion crisis in the NFL, and asking the question, um, should children be playing football, or is it too dangerous? And it's funny because I had this debate with my cousins who are avid football fans and i mean you know what there's there's both sides of it so hopefully we'll have both sides um chiming in to that discussion and then later on in the show we have two very special guests calling in we have neil huff he is the star of, well, one of the stars of spotlight a movie that is up for an oscar and has already won the sag award um it is about the catholic church child abuse sex scandal that is going on that has been going on for decades so we have neil who'll be calling in and then we have barbara blaine who is the founder and the president of the um of snap the survivors network for Oh, hold on. Let me just get the oh, Here it mm-hmm, is. Survivors out. Network of Those Abused by Priests. Mm-hmm. OK, so okay. we have two very great guests calling later in later on in the show. And then last but not least, Alyssa will be breaking down the quickie. Alyssa, can you please just give a little teaser on why I'm going to be petrified of mosquitoes?
3: Um, Well, because they carried the Zika virus, but you shouldn't be that scared because the Zika virus, uh, at least preliminarily, isn't that scary. In fact, uh, it's probably less likely to kill you than the flu is the bigger deal is not necessarily about the effects that happen when you get bit by the mosquitoes but what could happen uh if you're pregnant or if you want to become pregnant and that is sort of what has been underestimated by the center for disease control and the world health organization
2: i heard that the zika virus destroys your edges so women, oh,
3: what? they destroy he, your he, edges. He means your hair edges, your hairline. So, he means hairline. Women,
2: don't be scared. Be very afraid. they you're come coming for your edges. The
3: only person in this studio that knows what you're talking about is the straight woman. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of black women listening no to, to the show
2: right now who like, oh, no.
3: Not my edges. <laughs> oh, no. I mean,
0: well... <laughs> It's dead it's deadly, but according to Alyssa and she'll give a, a better breakdown later. We shouldn't be uh, petrified. It's actually
3: right? not deadly. Um, oh, it's not
0: deadly. Um, no, no. That's I'm gonna like the tell first you she all said. about <laughs> it
3: later. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to Selena. Look, she got no clue what she's talking right, about. Right. <laughs> I'm
0: like all I know is if I get a mosquito bite, I'm going straight to the doctor. Yeah, edges
2: are gone. That's what you know.
0: Anyway, so yeah, guys, we have a great show lined up today, and of course we want you to let your voice be heard. That means you should call us up at two one two six five zero six nine zero three. You can also, tweet us at beheard underscore radio where we will try our best to read your tweets on air. And then, of course, you know, you can hit up Alyssa's fan page, Politically Preposterous, and leave your comments there. Alyssa, what do you guys have like 35,000 strong now? 53,000. 53, wow.
2: Wow. Braggle, you won't. We have 1,000 strong. Let <laughs> me get one comment yeah, a but week. That's Alyssa. because Facebook
3: you- wants you and me to pay to let our right. own audience see our own content, which is really frustrating. And I'm trying to figure out a way around it without having to pay them. And mm-hmm. that's becoming increasingly difficult.
2: Use someone else's money. Duh.
3: <laughs> yeah, of course, right.
2: Yeah, that's what we make it work, right, Selena?
0: Mm, I don't know about that one. All right, guys. So. Um, again, you can definitely call us up. The number is 212 650 6903. When we come back from this break, we're kicking off Super Bowl Sunday with a discussion about concussions, and we have a great guest who will be calling in. So stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Oh, damn, 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 damn.
2: Hey guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on ninety point three FM W H C R The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, I am here, Stanley Fritz, looking good as usual. No, I'm not, I need a haircut. And I am in the studio with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs, who's out here in this blue, and you don't know them blood, bear. Changing colors, right? You you I'm from Bompton, California, bruh. You know what?
3: I Watch don't yourself. I, I don't. He, I'm not Stanley, sure what, what? He, this is. Like the third time today <laughs> that you've been speaking in gibberish. You guys
2: don't <laughs> speak that gangster talk. I know. I Neither that. to you, you're <laughs> wearing a button up. You, I am not. This is my gun shirt.
0: That's
2: why I wear when I want to shoot things up. Thank and you they very can, much. They
0: can see you via uStream. You, Stanley
2: I, is
3: definitely buttoned up today. If I don't
2: look dangerous, stop it, chat. chat.
3: Stop it, Chat. Stop. Stop that.
2: I am. I am appalled. All right, guys, enough (laughs) jokes. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR. And hopefully you guys have a lot of calls to um, make today. And those calls are geared towards us because we have a very amazing show um, ready for you. And we're going to start it off by talking about the Super Bowl. But before we talk about the Super Bowl, before we talk about all these NFL players, I want to share with you guys a story of heroics that I saw um, about seven years ago. So I'm a huge football fan, unlike some of the women in here, Selena Hill. You are and not
0: that big of a football fan. Actually I am. Oh. So fool f- me. Whatever.
3: Jets, <laughs> Jets, Jets, Jets. Jets.
2: Exactly. So um and I remember I was watching the, the Detroit Lions. They were playing the Chicago Bears. And John Kitna was their quarterback at the time. This is about a year before they got Matthew Stafford. And He was going on a play. He was doing a quarterback sneak. He was hit really hard, knocked out cold on the field, just laying there. They had to carry him off the field. Took an extended timeout, and the um, announcers were saying, well, you know, they need this drive to win, and the backup quarterback, Charlie Batch, was not good enough to take the win, and they were trying to get John Kittner to come back in. John came back into the game. Did a quarterback sneak? Scored for the touchdown, and they – He was like, that was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen. After the game, he couldn't speak at the interview. And the players were saying that literally, like, he was so concussed, he didn't even know where he was. All he said was just give me the ball and I'll figure it out. The following week, John Kitten was back in the game. And I thought to myself, wow, this guy is amazing. If he he can do that, anyone can do that. That same year, Wayne Corbett was still the number one wide receiver receiver for the New York Jets, one of my favorite players in NFL history. This guy was 5'10", but was amazing, would run down the middle to get the catches. He'd never drop the ball. He was a consistent player. But it was this year when Chad Pennington was a quarterback where Corbett was having some injury issues. And in, in one game... Against the Buccaneers, he was hit, knocked out cold. Once again, had a concussion. This was Wayne Corbett's fourth concussion of his career, and they always said that at the seven concussions, you could not play again. So they said Wayne Corbett might, might need to take the week off, but he couldn't because the following week we were playing the Bears, and we had to win that game to make the playoffs. And Herman Edwards was our coach at the time, Alyssa might remember. And Herman was all about, all about playing hard and not making ex- excuses. Wayne played that Sunday. The Jets played very poorly, but still had a chance to win the game at the end. And you know what? It came down to Chad Pennington and Wayne Corbett. Chad Pennington threw a cross pattern to Corbett. Corbett caught it and was shrieking for the end zone. A player hit him, and Corbett was falling towards the floor head first. He let go of the ball to protect his head. He was safe when he hit the floor. So he didn't hurt himself, but the Jets lost the ball. It was a fumble. They lost the game. At the end of the game, Wayne Corbett said, I know we were trying to score, but listen, I was was in a place where I could have really hurt myself. I just got a concussion last week. I can't get another one again. Fans were really upset with him. The media blasted him, and coaches felt like he was being a soft player. But Wayne Corbett was one of the toughest players I'd ever known. You know why? Because he played until he got seven concussions and he couldn't play anymore. And then he talked about how he would forget how to get home and how he would forget big pieces of his day and how he'd get angry all of a sudden for no reason. And he's one of those NFL greats. But even right now, at the age of 41, he's starting to get early age dementia. And Wayne Corbett and John Kitna and players just like them, who worked hard, who drove to the end zone, who didn't take games off, even when they were extremely hurt, even when they didn't know where they were, even when they needed smelling salts just to get back to consciousness, they played this game, as we would say, the right way. And now they're dying. They're dropping like flies. Junior Seau, he was one of the best linebackers in NFL history. He played for the San Diego Chargers for a long time, went to New England, and got his Super Bowl championship. Four years later, dead, shot himself in the chest. Why? Because he felt like something was wrong with his head, but he couldn't prove it because you had to be dead for them to check your brain to see if they had the issue he thought he had. So he shot himself in the chest, killed himself, and left a note to his kids that have my brain examined. You know what they found when they examined his brain? lesions exactly the same kind of lesions you have from being hit in the head too many times but it wasn't just Junior Seau and it's probably Wayne Corbett unfortunately and it's probably John Kitna as well but there was another player and I forgot his name but he played in the early 80s he shot himself in the chest too because he had those same issues and he told his family have my brain checked you know what they found
3: lesions
2: yep and you know what the nfl did every time a story like this popped up because these stories really started to become prevalent in 2005 2006 2007 the nfl would say no the game is completely safe there is no problem even though they had a full roster of former nfl players who could barely walk who could barely remember their names who would get lost on their way home saying we need help we need financial assistance and the nfl would say hey we paid you well when you were here. Yeah, we don't have a retirement plan and there's no health insurance, and nothing like that. But you are going to be A-OK. And they filed a lawsuit in the NFL for tooth and nail to not have to be responsible for that lawsuit. They recently lost the lawsuit and they settled. So all these players who reported having issues with brain, with brain functions and memory and controlling their emotions, they were on this lawsuit. And you know why they won this lawsuit? Because they all suffered from multiple concussions. Because for a long time, the NFL would tell players, don't report a concussion. It would just say like a head contusion or dizziness. And players would just come right in. There was no procedure. If you got knocked out one game, you can come right back in that same game or come back in that following week and no one would ask any questions. So there were so many players who had done this for so long and who had had concussions in the 10s and 11s who were now suffering after the fact. And now we come to Ken Stabler, who was a court, who was a quarterback and a and an NFL great, and he brought the Raiders their 1977 Super Bowl championship. And now he dies, not from not from the concussion issues, from cancer. But when they check his brain, what do they find, Alyssa? Lesions. There we go. And here we are with this huge crisis in the NFL, with these players whose lives are at stake, and we don't know what to do. And because this has been happening, and because we just had a great movie talking about this by Will Smith, which the NFL forced the studio to lessen up the impact of what they were going to be covering in that movie. We have a great guest on the show to help us understand why the NFL has had this issue for so long, but has not been doing anything about it. Why so many players are losing their memory and to help us with this conversation. We're going to have Brandon scoop Robinson, the sports and entertainment journalist and co-host of Brown and scoop, a daily sports and entertainment podcast through CBS radio. His writing has appeared on ESPN complex, Ebony and slam. And Brian, he and I talked very briefly on the, Brandon. He and I spoke very briefly on the phone. He sounds like a cool guy, so I'm going to ask him: Are you rooting for Peyton Manning or the Dab King for the Super Bowl championship? <laughs> Brandon.
4: First of all, man, you you don't even need me on the show. You 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 had all the facts, man. But the, thank you for having me. Um, I definitely definitely think um Cam Newton uh, and the Carolina Panthers uh, will be victorious in Super Bowl 50. Uh, guys that have just been grinding all year, um, aside from all the dabbing and everything that's going on, you know, they're a mixture of style and substance, and uh, the, the reigning and the now newly minted MVP, Cam Newton, uh, has his sights set on winning a ring and going against a guy that in Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos who was there two years ago. So I predict it to be a 27-21 Carolina Panthers winning. Hopefully he comes out victorious and dabs on him, Yes. <laughs> I
3: need an 8 in there so I can win that that box. <laughs> yeah. 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 Most
4: definitely how's everybody doing today? Good.
3: Good. Thanks so much,
0: Scoop, for coming on. I actually, my fun brother. fact, I known him for like years now. I think when we first met, I was like, you got to go come on my show and the opportunity has finally arrived. Here we go.
2: And Scoop was like, I I'm busy.
0: Anywhere in the world. <laughs> like, yeah, I, basically. I appreciate that.
2: Scoop, you could have been at brunch right now. If you go to brunch when you're not here, what are you drinking?
4: Um my mom's listening, so I'll say pineapple juice mixed with ginger ale. That's yeah. right, mom. That's right, mom. <laughs> and, You know, he
2: he pray before he eats his meal too. He knows of course. Ain't he good? Look at God. All right, guys. So let's get to the let's get to the conversation and stop jibber jabbering around. As Selena would say, if she knew what that meant. Um, so the first question I have for you, Brendan. I know I, I talked about a lot and I covered a lot, but sure. what is it? What exactly is going on in the NFL with this with this crisis right now and concussions? Mm-hmm. What what exactly is it? The um issue, the health issue called
4: um CTE which is i can't pronounce it so I'm not going to lie but basically CTE is a syndrome that was coined uh where basically guys are having degenerative issues in their heads and um ironically now I, I just had a uh, Warren Moon on my show uh about 2 weeks ago he's actually uh, a guy that you know obviously played for the play a journey guy played for the Vikings played for uh Houston Oilers um he basically and some other players are now suing the league and, and getting substantial amount of money uh, because he, they're all saying um, that they have some memory loss and things of that sort. And um, you just hear a lot of things going on now with guys in that. Um, you talked about Junior Seau. He went crazy, and it, it kind of takes me back. It actually makes me appreciate my mom a lot more. I talked about a few seconds ago. But she would let me play football as a kid. And um, – you know, you, you take a lot of hits. You take a lot of pounding, and um, in some respects, it may even be worse than boxing. You know, the NFL uh, commissioner Roger Goodell uh, over the weekend at Super Bowl meeting said that if he had a son, he'd allow him to play football. And huh. you know, the NFL really started investigating this stuff in 2009, back when Paul Tagliabue, former commissioner, while was in was was on his way into transition into Roger Goodell, but it was kind of an issue that. Um, Paul Tagliabue deemed as just a media issue and didn't really talk about it. And, you know, I think in an age where you have people always telling somebody to man up, when you talk about Wayne Kribet, he played it smart versus someone else running for a touchdown and can't even speak to the media, I think in this age of awareness and realization now, uh, we're realizing that maybe somebody shouldn't man up. Maybe you should sit down and take the necessary precautions to make sure you're well. And uh, Wayne Corbett had it right.
3: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Just uh, for clarification purposes, CTE, I know you said you didn't want to botch it. It's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Or that's at least how my sister, when I spoke to her, who's a nurse or training to be a nurse, uh, told me that it how it's pronounced. Um, But what I find so interesting about it is, for a long time, they felt that like quarterbacks couldn't get it that other that you had to be somebody who was like a defensive player or somebody who get into a lot of head to head collisions. And I think that that's why the Ken Stabler story is so uh, so important because he's actually, according to the New York Times, the seventh foreigner NFL quarterback to be found to have it. Um, In in fact, actually. A study that was done by Boston University, she's showing that 90 to 94 um, percent, 90 out of 94, I'm sorry, f- former NFL players that they have examined, including Tyler Sash, who was only 27 years old mm. when he died back in September, uh, have the disease. Um, and, uh, you know, there's uh, been numerous other articles that have come out this week about a lot of other football players sure. that have absolutely no recollection of even playing in the NFL um, Uh as they've aged that they're um, I'll get the name maybe when we go on break and I'll have it when we come back but um, that he has no recollection of actually playing in the National Football League at all Uh, so I mean the problem to me seems widespread. And when I spoke to one of my professors the other day about it that I happened to run into from New York Law School, and he told me that Ken Stabler is sort of the game changer because he's so well-known and, and also because um, of the fact that he was a quarterback and not another player. So I guess I was just looking to get your input on that, Brandon, which is do you think Ken Stabler is really the game changer that's going to push the NFL towards going a different route? Well, you
4: know, I, I think it's a combination of things. And Stabler, definitely. I, I wanted to touch on a point that you made about the quarterback position and getting being at risk. To be honest with you, I, I think that the quarterback position is more at risk in some respects than the defensive player because you, when you're on offense and you're trying to get someone open and you're sacked, I mean, you got five guys coming, three three to five guys coming at you, and you're falling on that grass, and it, you and you have a helmet on to, and you have other helmets banging you and 10-pound worth of pads. I feel like you are more at risk to say, a defensive player. Um, I I think that with uh, the research, and I just think the NFL just has had bad luck over the last three to five years, even dating back to the domestic violence Mm -hmm. um, issues that have been going on. I think when you really take a look at the NFL and just social media and just 24-hour news coverage, you know, be careful what you do because karma comes back to bite you in the butt. And I think that with the NFL sweeping things under the rug and then having so much influence and power in media, um, you can only cover but so much. A, a, a person who's an independent journalist can come in and, and decide that they want to do it, and it's separate from a news media perspective. Just like you see Al Jazeera covering whether or not Peyton Manning used some type of HGH. To that point, I think that with Ken Stabler, I think that's an, another example of how the NFL maybe could have done better. Uh, I think when you're talking about people's lives, I've often had people on my show that were former players who say they're not paid enough to take the hits that they take and not have guaranteed contracts. And then when their career is over, they have nothing to show for it. But I think bigger than just players being hurt, I think that, you know, it's an issue of money. I mean, obviously there's a choice that they made. They made a choice to play football. They didn't make a choice to play in the NBA or NFL, or rather, NBA and Major League Baseball, where contracts are guaranteed. But I think that um, you, you also have to think about 15 to 20 to 30 years from now. And I think a guy like Calvin Johnson of the Detroit Lions, who recently is rumored he hasn't confirmed that he's retiring, he's retiring at 30, and hopefully he, he can go on to other business ventures. Absolutely. You know, it, it's about playing it smart at the end of the day
3: absolutely uh, the name that I was looking for before is actually a guy named Willie Wood uh, he is well known for um, a famous interception uh, during the very first Super Bowl versus Kansas City uh, right. and he says he remembers absolutely nothing of the play and he in fact he doesn't even remember being on the NFL roster and playing in the first Super Bowl that, Selena yeah no that
0: that's crazy um, so we actually had a tweet from NFL caveman doctor who said the NFL keeps lying about CTE concussion Vote Football killing men and giving brain disease to all who play. And that tweet kind of segues into the question that I had. How is the NFL <clears throat> sort of handling it now? I know that Stanley touched upon it and we talked about it a little bit, um, but there was a long time when the N- NFL was completely denying that this was taking place, this was happening, and that there's a link. And even um, Roger Goodell um, recently was like scared to use the word link. He was like, okay, there's an association yeah. between football and CTE, but there's no link. And And I'm like, why is he playing word semantics? Why can't they why can't they just keep it straightforward? I mean, don't they want the trust of the football of football players and fans?
4: Well, first of all, when you said NFL Caveman tweeted, did he include that that clip? Why are you always lying to that (laughs) tweet?
0: No, he didn't. No, he did not include that. (laughs) (laughs) He should have though.
4: Yeah, he should have next time. But no, to your point about the whole link and, and associated it is a play on words. I felt like I was on an episode of uh, Judge Judy uh, with the word play. What it was was basically there was a doctor who w- was associated with the NFL who said um, he used the word link and said that just because you play football doesn't mean you're going to get C- CTE, basically backtrack, And he said just like p- there's people who smoke that don't get cancer. Now, That's by exactly no stretch of the saying. imagination, am I a doctor, I am not professionally trained in that, I am a writer and I interview people all day, but I do think that the more you do get hit, uh, the more you, I feel you do, just personally, you, you, you run a risk of, of, of having those issues, and you got to take into account, particularly with guys who are training so hard, to get to the next level. They've been getting them type of hits because they were
0: seventh and 8th break. Mm, you know what? And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about should kids even be playing football? So great point, Brandon. Again, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We're talking about football's concussion crisis. We're going on a quick break, but we'll be right back. Oh,
2: yeah, I see em. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. And we are talking about the NFL concussion crisis and the CTEs happening in people's brains all over the place. And if you are just tuning in, I'm here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. And we have Brandon Mother Lovin' Scoop as our guest on the show. But before we get back to him and we let Selena talk about her favorite NFL bays and Alyssa <laughs> give us some science and law, we have a caller on the line who I want to let speak because she's cool and she has nice arm muscles. This is Bianca.
5: Oh,
6: my gosh. Hey, Bianca. Thank you, Stanley. Hi, good morning, everyone. Morning. So I do have a question about this case. Um, I know CT is huge in the NFL. However, is the NFL, are they putting in enough rules to to, um, to ridicule or make sure these players are getting, you know, the right type of – I can't think of the word right now – repercussions for causing these injuries? For example – Vontae Burfitt, he, he caused a concussion to Antonio Brown during the playoffs this, uh, this current season, and he's only suspended for three games um, next, at the start of next season. Do that's you think a lot of that's games. That's enough. For players who are causing these low blows and terrible injuries that are
2: causing concussions. Well, Bianca, thank you for answering that question, and I want to let um, Scoop answer it as well. But before you know, we get to him, I want I do want to mention in college football now they have specialized helmets where you like, can kind of rank like how hard the hit is, and like it'll let you know like what's going on over there. The NFL has not invested in this, which tells me that they're not interested, or that they don't care, or they don't want to spend the money. And the NFL is also a place where, as I joked in the, in introducing um after the break, I signed a ten year contract and they cut me three. Months into it, where none of the money is guaranteed. So I don't think they're doing enough. I don't think they care enough. I think um, with so many more stories coming out about it, it's forcing their hand, but they're not putting that effort in. Scoop?
4: Well, I think that that was an excellent question. I think that um, one thing that you have seen the NFL do is just the their rule changes, um, where they're more uh, proactive and calling uh, plays or calling calling penalties, rather on um on things that people do so the buses birthday incident for example um that, that three game suspension uh, i think bef- before two thousand nine uh, the n f l was less proactive in that regard uh I, I think they just called a lot of penalties uh now than ever before so i mean it, 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 there's a correlation in the prime of players' career um but there's no correlation, I don't think. Afterward, I think it's just it, it, A and B. C comes after. I, I think there's a situation where um, you, you call these penalties on guys, and they take these these um, suspensions. But also, a lot of those, a lot of that money for those type of penalties goes towards um, concussion issues, whether that's studies on concussions or funding players for after their career is over. So. Um, in a situation where you have that, uh, I guess the NFL is, is tr- basically forming some sort of mea culpa in the way that the way that they uh, they handle that. So um, I think that, I think it's good, but I think, again, as I said before the break, it's a little too late because um, the NFL for so long has swept many things under the rug.
3: Alyssa? Right, yeah, no, and I agree with that, but I also think that, It sort of ignores part of the problem Because when you focus only on A bunch of, I'll call them bad actors Or bad apples that are engaging In conduct that they know uh, Is not appropriate Like, you know, these personal fouls, low blow Hits, uh, you you know, head to head Hits, that's like a small Subset of people and it ignores The larger issue about Football just being one of the Most dangerous sports when it comes To concussions in general, putting Aside the fact that there's individuals that engage in dirty hits. I mean, you look at football compared to a sport like hockey, and hockey is literally a sport where you can punch somebody in the face Mm -hmm. and do a five-minute penalty, where there is lots and lots and lots of physical contact, and yet... In hockey, there has been few cases of CTE. Um, Usually, I mean, one of the most famous ones uh, was a guy who played for the Rangers who was considered to be the enforcer. I mean, his job was to get in fights and his job was to get punched in the face and punched in the head constantly. But if you compare a sport like hockey, which is extremely physical and where there is a lot of hits, you still see a situation where CTE is not prevalent In the sport of hockey, the way it is in the sport of football. So I think you can't just focus on these few bad actors that, you know, get suspended for a few games, have to pay funds. You also have to ask the bigger question, which I know is what Selena wants to get into, which is about football itself as a sport and not just about these few people. Selena?
0: No, you're absolutely right. And before we went on break, Scoop, you mentioned how seventh and eighth graders, um, you know, they're also incurring and, and, and suffering from some some type of damage. I don't know how serious it is, but, you know, common sense tells you you take enough hits as a child leading up to a teenager and then an adult, more than likely you're putting yourself at risk and parents are putting them, putting their children at risk. So I wanted to get your take on that and over the whole debate on should children play football?
4: Well, if children don't play football, you won't have adults who play football in the NFL or or, or the college game. But um, I do think, I mean, obviously, like I said, players are, for me, I went to a prep school, a national uh, prep school, where um, football players were produced, and I have friends who are in the NFL now. And I saw them take hits in in high school. Um, and, And I've seen some people that I went to high school with, that they got burned out because their goal was to make it to the NFL. I think when you put such a, a, a premium on making it to the league or making it to the next level, you have kids going hard uh, to get that Division One scholarship in high school and then, you know, pushing even harder in college to get to the next level. Um, I think I, I'll say that I'm thankful that I, I found a skill in running my mouth and using a pen and appearing on your show. But I, I think that um, – it does make parents leery as to whether or not they should play. But to go back to that point about hockey, hockey is not as—I don't really consider hockey an impact sport.
2: Hmm?
4: I do, but I don't. Hear me out. Football, you're getting hit every play. In hockey, you're you're still skating, even though you're you're hitting people. It's not impact every down. Where hockey, it, it's a little different. Like you're still skating, it's it's it, it's not exactly basketball, yeah. but it's, it's, not, it's not football either, and it's not boxing, so it's a little different. But I, So the fact that there's a correlation with there's no CT issues sound yet, it doesn't surprise me, because, yeah, the, the, the strongest thing that you'll get more is being punched in the face, or you get a high sticking penalty, uh, and you, you might fight, but that's not wall. happening all the time.
0: Great point on that, Scoop. I wanted to just follow up with you about children playing football because, I mean, I, I get your point. You have to start young if you want to make it into the league. But a sure. 2015 study at Boston University, uh, researchers, they scanned the brains of 42 former NFL players, half of whom um, began, if they had begun playing tackle football before the age of 12, um, they were performing um Basically, they were performing worse on um, exams and they basically had uh, more symptoms of um, having like brain damage, et cetera, et cetera, when they became adults. So, I mean, if the thing is, if you are an advocate for children playing football, are there any safety precautions that we can put in place? Like maybe like I would tell like my unborn son basketball. Well, no, I'm saying Uh, like, can can you tell can you tell a child or can you kind of like eliminate some of the impact in children playing football? I don't see
4: how you can really change it. I, I think you know maybe shortening quarters. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the what the the length is for wee football, but you know if you're playing a six minute game, I mean maybe playing a three or four minute or six minute quarter, maybe playing three to four minutes. Um, I mean you can't really tell somebody you don't get hit. That's inevitable. Uh, but like my buddy over there said, play basketball. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's or you know play another sport, play chess swim, but, you know, to tell somebody, you know, don't get hit, like, that's like, that's like uh, telling a starving person, don't pick up a fork and eat.
3: Right. No, that makes sense. I, I, I'm just we're getting a comment from uh, politically preposterous. Allie Brooks said that she's relieved that her son has zero interest in playing football, uh, and that she would not consent to allowing him to play because of the concussion probability and the lasting effects. Um, and you know that that's an interesting comment. But I know that there's another part of this that I know Selena wanted to mention, and I'll bring it up, and then we can discuss it. Which is when we look at the the people who are. Going into play football, when we look at the demographics of those who play football, uh, we find that um, and it 's not everybody but like a, a good portion of the people who are going into playing football are people that come from low income communities of color and it 's almost as if football is the way out right and so that means that there's now a socio economic and even racial aspect to this conversation about. Who is at higher? Who is at a higher risk to develop CTE? And we're talking about children playing football and the need to start early. Well, if you're, um, you know, some young guy and you're growing up in a very poor neighborhood um, and you want to start early, like you don't want to play three, four minute quarters. You want to play the full game. You want to, you know, practice as hard as you can, play as hard as you can. That means you're going to take head hits starting very, very young in order to then go eventually maybe go to take head hits when you end up being in the NFL. Like that's the position you're put in and you don't have the kind of option to go maybe pick up a pen instead of a football. Stanley wants um, to comment in yeah, on yeah. that too.
2: I, I do want to comment on that and I want to make sure we get our caller on the air. I would push back on that just slightly because I don't think that – I football is one of those sports where I'm going to pl- – you're definitely going to see proportionately more people of color playing football, but there are definitely white players playing football um, at a higher clip than you would say maybe the NBA. And I think that like the, the um they face the same struggles. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that social well socio economic yes, but racially no. I don't think I don't think you mentioned racial, but I just want to th- throw that in there as well.
3: No, I, as yeah. I always say, socioeconomic sometimes race plays into yeah. Yeah. that. Yeah, and that was the point was oh, okay. so well, I was
4: making. Okay, well, often than not it does, but then there are some isolated incidents, and I think that. You know, it's a mixed bag when you talk about that because everybody's circumstances is different, right? So you think that, you know, somebody rapping or playing ball or, you know, what have you gets them out. But that goes back to circumstances, and I think that that's a touchy subject. But I do think that the realistic part of it is is I think sometimes when you see people that look like you play in the league, you think that that's your way out. And sometimes it can be confusing for people who may not be as good to, to play to um who to play and did not make it so that creates a whole nother avenue of okay i'm injured what do i do now so it's it's kind of you get a lot of mixed messages then because there's some people who are going to make it the ones that are really good that make it but then what about the ones who get burned out after high school and college who now have to come home and not be able to use their brain faculties to the fullest
2: yep so and, and uh, school just um, i want to make sure we get our call online miss deborah please let your voice be heard
6: yeah, I was thinking about the same thing and why uh, sometimes if, if you give a child a and, and I've seen it, I've seen people give their children uh, football, like for Christmas, there's nothing like it. If you see somebody with a box and they open it up, you would think that somebody gave them the songs for the keys of life. And then mm-hmm. later on, when they can't play anymore, what are you going to do? I mean... Uh, I heard the gentleman say that, you know, um, you know, they don't give you, you know, like maybe they don't pay you enough. If your brains are, are mush and someone paid you a trillion dollars, I mean, what are you going to do? Have a wheelchair with a lot of bling and your neck brace with a lot of bling and then let doctors just, you know, just take your money until there's nothing left? And then, you know, like they don't, they don't understand. It's almost like sometimes you see athletes not all but it's almost as if they're afraid of the book just give me the football i Mm -hmm. can i can run with this but forget the book that's because they're trained like that they're trained at home like that and people don't want to talk about parents but it's the truth because when he gets out everybody wants to get out
2: thank you for that miss deborah
0: Thank you so much for calling in. I know we're going to start to talk about the solutions, and Stanley's going to lay some out uh, during his closing, but I wanted to let everyone know what Bianca Marley tweeted to us. She said, referees have to play a major role in calling penalties, put trust in coaches to coach properly, and we need to invest in better protection, uh, for example, tech-based helmets. So I think that you know those seem like very practical solutions. Will the NFL take it that far and do that?
2: Um, who knows when they're finally like forced to absolutely do that, they wow. will. But it, it it hasn't reached that point yet. Scoop, I just, I want to get your thoughts on that before we let you go. Oh, sorry about that, Scoop. Which part? Um, do, like, do you think that like NFL will be willing to invest in the, the proper tech to really support these players so that they're not running into these issues?
4: Maybe ten years from now, I think the NFL is taking their time. I think that the NFL, like I said, has proven that unless. It damages. I've often used this phrase that it's a million, it's a billion dollar organization with million dollar workers. And as long as they're not messing up their billions, they're going to kind of care. I, I just think that they're going to be behind with technology, and that's just because they don't care. You know, it, 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 it's no other way to really put it. To quote DJ Khaled, they don't want you to win. You know, so, major so, key alert. I, 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 yes, yeah, icon alert. But I, I just think that it, they're going to take this free time and until another case happens where somebody dies, somebody you know, and, and what I, whatever else happens. But they, they haven't proven to be vigilant and doing it the right way. So I don't really—I'm I'm skeptical whether they're going to. All
2: right, Brandon. Can you tell the listeners how they can hear your show and how they can see your writing or read your writing if they can still read? Well,
4: first and foremost, you guys can check out my website scoopb.com. Um, there you can find all my writing, uh, TV appearances on CBS This Morning, and everywhere else. We actually went viral last week, and we're actually on TMZ. So uh, we're making moves there. You can also check out the show itself. Play uh, it's play.it it slash Brown and Scoop. And if you have uh, iTunes, make sure you search podcast Brown and Scoop. We just celebrated our hundredth episode this week, mm. and Congratulations. Uh, we in there like swimwear. And I <laughs> want to thank you guys so much for having me on today. Represent my brand and to talk about something that's so very serious. Make sure to also follow me on Twitter at ScoopB and Instagram at Scoop underscore Big. Thank
3: Thank you so
2: much, Scoop. Tell Bevel to holler at us, all right?
3: Thanks, Scoop. I will, I will. (laughs) You know, the last thing he said was that it may be something like 10 years before the NFL actually does anything about it. And what you may not know, but you could go look it up, is back in the early 1900s, around 1905, there was actually a push to actually ban football outright because there was concerns about head injuries even as early as the early 1900s, before there was ever even a Super Bowl. But my response, and the one thing that I wanted to say before Stanley closes this segment out, is that the NFL may be forced to move quicker because there are – many lawsuits going on i know there's one big one pending right now there's going to be more big lawsuits that come and depending on the outcomes of those lawsuits the nfl may be forced to act quicker than 10 years so we'll have to see how the legal system pushes the nfl uh into a corner essentially to deal with this issue depending on the outcome of some of those civil actions stanley
2: you are absolutely right Alyssa. i was gonna call you selena i don't know how i made that mistake but anyways guys i do want to close this out and i want i want to state an argument here and you guys might think i'm crazy but have you ever played football and you probably have but you probably have never played tackle football and let me tell you there is no better feeling no manlier feeling than when you have that ball in your hands and you're going through a crowd and you pop you pop through, you push through, and you manhandle everyone and you make it all the way to the end zone. There's no other way to feel more powerful than when you get, you take that contact and you don't fall. You feel like the ultimate man, the ultimate titan. You stand strong and no one can stop you. And growing up, when you're a little bored, you always want to be that big, tough, strong man. You want to be like your dad. You want to be like Michael Jordan. You want to be like Deion Sanders or Barry Sanders. You want to be like Terrell Owens. You want to be like Keyshawn Johnson. You want to be like Wayne Corbett or maybe Brett Favre, who got knocked down so many times that sometimes he couldn't remember where he was, but he'd still throw a 50-yard touchdown pass to win the game. And all these players were just like me when they were kids. They played some peewee football, and they were the running back, or they were the linebacker, and they felt that rush of adrenaline and excitement when they got to play, when they tackled someone, when they broke the tackle, when they popped through the, the offensive line, and they got addicted. They got so addicted, they carried it through their whole lives, and they get to the NFL, and now this, the thing that they've loved so much is making them sick, is making them jury. They can't focus. They're forgetting things. But how can you let go of something that's been a part of you for so long? You're literally telling someone to stop being who you are, and for some players, they can do that. There, there was a player on the Cincinnati Bengals after one year. He retired, took his $12 million contract, opened a farm. He's not playing football anymore. But that's not an easy step to take. A lot of these people, like Alyssa mentioned, come from poverty. They can't just walk away from the game. They can't just do that. So instead, they have to keep on banging their heads and going at the tackles and breaking tackles and making catches in traffic and hoping for the best. And the NFL... They never cared about the players. That's why you don't get guaranteed contracts. That's why even if somebody gave you 10 years of hard time for your team and played hurt and played with concussions, you can cut them and say it's a business. But when a player asks for more money and fans get mad at them, they're being selfish. That's why, because this sport and the culture of this sport is not meant to care about people. It is the ultimate Republican game in real life. They don't give a crap about you. They give a crap about the business. So they won't make a big fuss when the player hits a woman. They won't make a big fuss when the player goes to jail. They won't make a big fuss when the player is doing those things because maybe he can't control his emotions anymore from all those concussions. And they won't make a big fuss when that same player dies because you know what? They'll play a montage in the field and it'll be over. That'll be the end of the conversation because the NFL, they don't have to care because it's all about the bottom line. And until we force them to think about things outside of the bottom line, it'll never change. So you got two options. Don't let your kids play football or make the make the NFL very, very, very uncomfortable. But it's in your hands.
1: Naughty Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive.
2: So I love we Are you back just going
3: to repeat yourself over and over again? Yes,
2: yeah, so I want you guys to know um Selena Hill is like the NFL because I could say Selena, I have a concussion. She'll still be like, Can you make it to the show on Sunday?
3: It is what it is, Stanley. <laughs> can you say that again? And then I'll call you uh Marco Robot Rubio.
2: Oh, snap, son. Guys, we are back and let your voice be heard on 90.3 FM, all the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, I am here, Stanley Fritz, with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs. And we just finished having a great discussion about the NFL's concussion crisis with Brandon Scoop Robinson. He was a great guest. We thank him for being there. And now we're on to the news roundup. Things that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, punch a microphone, or play some trap music really loudly until your ears bled. And I know Alyssa has some great news she want to share. Well, so Alyssa, Okay, us. so
3: I was, I mean, I wasn't watching the Republican debate last night, and then I turned it on for a little bit um, just because I needed to kill a little time. And I caught Marco Rubio, like, on loop, as oh, if boy. he was a computer that needed oh, to be Restarted that like you ever you're on A computer and you're like playing a song And then the computer freezes and like the same Line of the song mm-hmm. like it yep. keeps playing Over yep. and over on loop and you can't get it to Stop unless you hit the restart button on mm-hmm. your Computer that's basically what happened to Marco Rubio last night like he was asked A question and then he gave an answer and Then um, like I think Chris Christie Attacked him yeah. for giving a canned Answer and then he responded with the same Canned answer as if he was literally A robot that was just programmed to repeat the same thing three times and to the point where Chris Christie, who I don't particularly like, but I actually loved in this situation, turned around and was like, look, there he goes again. There he goes again. He's on loop. He just repeated the same thing. And that wasn't the only time that it happened. There was like three times throughout the debate where he literally repeated the same thing over and over again as if he was a wind-up doll and they just kept winding him up and then he would repeat it and then they would wind him back up again. What is going on with Republicans? I mean, it was just fodder for uh,
0: Chris Christie, who was calling him out as a politician who gives these 25 seconds um speeches um that that are staged and that are memorized before he even goes on there so basically everyone's attacking marco rubio he should have been i guess a little bit more prepared there's one thing you give that talking point one time but two or three now it's just ridiculous and the reason why everyone's attacking marco rubio is because he did phenomenal in the iowa caucuses he came out third he had a very strong performance he actually tied with uh, senator ted cruz when it came to delegates and you know um excuse me i mean um Donald Trump and basically Donald Trump didn't win either so it was like Ted Cruz, Donald Trump and then Marco Rubio was right under Donald Trump so everyone is basically attacking him because more than likely Marco Rubio is going to turn out to be the establishment the, uh, the establishment Republican that's going to go head to head with either uh, Donald Trump or Ted Cruz
2: so before we go move on to the next news story I actually had the clip I want to play for you guys oh you have, you it? have it? okay yes, perfect I do. Yes.
0: here we go Here it goes. Let the robot begin. nine times in their credit rating. This country already has a debt problem. We don't need to add to it by electing someone who has experience at running up and and destroying the credit
2: rating of a state. That's what Washington, D.C. does. The drive-by shot at the beginning with incorrect and incomplete information and then the memorized 25-second speech. (laughs) When you're President of the United States, when you're a governor of a state, the, the memorized 30-second speech where you talk about how a great America is at the end of it doesn't solve one problem for one person. So
0: your state got hit by a massive snowstorm two weeks ago. You didn't even want to go back. They had to shame you into going back. <laughs> so
3: here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not
7: there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. to spell once and for all with this fiction that Barack
0: Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing.
2: This- that is not a mistake. That is actually what he was saying on live television he said television. three times yes. yeah. and that
3: wasn't the only thing when he was doing the immigration thing mm-hmm. the, which is the other section of the debate that I caught he kept repeating the same exact line over and over about, about secure the border like, e-verify yeah. e- in-out yeah. optics or something and then he was asked a different question and then he said the same thing again secure the border e-verify in-out optics I mean, <laughs> I mean his campaign is doing really well now
0: I hope that he doesn't run it into the ground and um, I did want to mention what I hope Rick's he does oh <laughs>
3: I hope he does. He, he has a shot of beating because Hillary. he's the one person that I think has the best chance of winning the election. So. Yeah.
2: Um, and also something we should be like cognizant of is Marco Rubio is not the only candidate who does this. Most candidates, yeah, especially cool. in primaries, you start to just repeat your sum speech uh, like every place you go, and you use pieces of it for news clippings, and you use pieces of it for the debate, and you are liter- literally given a script to respond to in debates. They even give you zingers, or I call them clapbacks, that you can use, even President Obama. The good politicians learn how to memorize that and then work off of the script. Marco Rubio is clearly a novice.
0: Oh, no,
3: no. Great point. And I
0: mean, I mean, I just wanted to... Did you have a? I was going to say the
3: left is not immune to it either. Oh, yeah. At the, When I was watching the Democratic debate earlier in the week, yeah, sure. there was many times where Bernie Sanders repeated the same canned talking points that he had receded over and over. The difference is he didn't sound like a robot. He, right. he you know, yes, that's his core message. Bernie Sanders' core message is mm-hmm. about money and politics and the rigged system. And so he's going to keep repeating that because that's his core message. That's he's a, not repeating it because he's a wind-up doll. Yeah. That is only memorized those 25 second clip. There's a big difference between repeating the core of your stump speech versus just repeating this thing that you've memorized to say at a debate or on the talking trail. I'll
2: push back on Bernie some though. I didn't see the, I I saw bits of the last debate but the the debate before that, Hillary was really giving him a run for his money and he would always go back to what we need to talk about is money in politics when he very obviously could not answer a question. And then now, in his last debate that happened, maybe he should memorize his lines a little bit better because he could not perform when they talk about foreign policy. They asked him about Afghanistan. He said, well, Iraq and ISIS. They asked him about ISIS. He said, well, we need to get money out of politics.
0: Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. And the thing is, they're being heavily scrutinized, so they really have no place to mess up or for error. But I wanted to mention what Hillary Clinton did say that didn't actually go as well when she talked about Wall Street. So Anderson Cooper at a town hall um, last week asked her very straightforwardly did you have to accept over $600,000 in speaking fees from Goldman Sachs? And her response was, well, that's what they offered, literally, like, quote verbatim. She was like, not allowed to get paid from doing that. But the thing is, she was like, okay, no, but the thing is, if you're going to run for president, and that that's something in the back of your mind, should you be, do, be taking steps like
3: this that are going to help, help, hurt your I mean, campaign? That's a fair Come question. That's, that's a fair yeah. question. That's okay. absolutely a fair question. But at the same time, and like, you know, I like Bernie Sanders. I'm yep. probably going to vote for Bernie Sanders. However, I don't think that makes him immune to criticism from me or to, from anybody else. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for Hillary. You have to be able to criticize the person you like the best, one, because you if you, you can't be blinded just by the fact that you like somebody. You yeah. have to be able to recognize that there's good things about the person you like and bad things. That goes for Obama too. Yeah. There are things about the president that I don't like that I don't think that he's gone far enough. At the same time, there's things that I think that he's great on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the left's problem is and maybe both sides' problem is with being critical of the person they like the best and automatically thinking that anytime somebody's critical of even their own preferred candidate that they are some kind of shill for the other side. I
2: don't understand problem with Hillary because all the criticism I've heard of Hillary is, has nothing to do with her ability to do, the, to do the job and when Bernie has like some very clear holes, no one's questioning it people have questioned whether she's a progressive or not and she says she's a progressive and some people will disagree, but you know who was pushing for universal healthcare before anybody? Hillary Clinton and the Republicans killed it Let's be honest about that. Her health care plan was more liberal than the one that Barack Obama finally pushed through. That's and then the, she can't be trusted. She takes money from Wall Street. Guess what? Everyone does.
0: Well, well, here's the thing. And I think that this is one of the biggest issues of the 2016 cycle. It's can She already has a trust issue. And if you're answering questions about um Taking a large amount of money from Wall Street firms, are they influencing you? That's also it's a fair question. Like you're taking all this money, you have these ties. We don't know if you're doing backroom deals. We just know what the facts are. But these are what voters are thinking.
2: But there is a question that she said: If name one time where I've like changed the vote because of Wall Street, can one of us do that?
3: No. Yeah, exactly,
2: that. and, that, and that, that's what it comes down to. Because if you can't, yeah, she's taking money from them, and like, listen, when you're president of the United States. You can push the legislation that you want, but if Congress and Senate does not want it, they can push back on that. And usually they do because they have special interest groups. So not to say that a president cannot be swayed by special interest groups, but the groups that will be swayed first are Congress and Senate. So, I mean, there really should be more attention paid to that and not just Hillary Clinton because no matter how many corporate sponsors she has, she still has to to govern on the whim of the people or else she will be kicked out of office when it comes time for re-election
3: in theory I'm going to switch yes. gears just a second I want to stay on this topic of politics but I want to talk about something that you may not be aware of so the legislature of West Virginia has decided they're going to pass this bill um, or at least try and pass this bill that is probably unconstitutional and it's called the basically I think it's called the Freedom of Religion Free Conscious Act of 2016 or something like that but basically the language of the bill um, is so broadly worded that it would ale- uh, 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 sorry, it would basically let you use uh, religious belief to say that you don't have to follow any law. So, for example, um, yeah, um, Selena's looking at me like I'm crazy, but yeah, the way it is written, it is written so broadly that you could be um, say driving 100 miles an hour down the highway, and you can say, "Well, God told me to do it. Wow. and My religion says that I have to drive this fast, and because of this law, um, I shouldn't be prosecuted." Or, I mean, obviously, we know why this. law was enacted this law was enacted because of gay marriage right it's it it all goes back to that like i shouldn't have to bake you a cake and like you know i i can basically discriminate against you which we've gone into uh, in detail here when people tried to use religion as a reason to discriminate against black people back during the jim crow era and now of course people are trying to use religion to discriminate against gay people today um and you know etc etc but the wording of this law is so broad that literally like a Rastafarian could say well you can't arrest me for having marijuana because um, that would violate my religious freedom of conscience under this law um, and so there are so many problems with this law and I can't believe that not that many people are actually talking about it but it's like so crazy um, and my colleague Manny Schweitz actually wrote an article about it that's on ModernLiberals.com. if you want to check out more about yeah. that but it's just like literally has become so ludicrous and so crazy just wanted to get your guys reaction have you heard about this um, what are your thoughts well, about this this par my, for the course my first question is how likely is
0: it to be passed
3: okay I mean it will probably, probably get vetoed well, they'll probably pass it through the legislature and and I'm not sure if there's a Republican or a Democrat in the a governor's office. Democrat it is. So it will probably get vetoed, but that's not to say it won't at and some point end up going through. And if it does, it's going to be really really interesting from a legal perspective to see it litigated. Uh, you know, one against up against the Constitution and other laws of the United States that it may conflict with, but two, just to see somebody make the the just see somebody make the argument that like I can have marijuana on me because I'm a Rastafarian and that's part of my religion. Or I can, you know, kill somebody or commit a ritual sacrifice because that's part of my religion and this law protects me. And so that's going to be really interesting.
0: You know what? The law almost sounds like it's extremely religious and you can think of religious extremism. And I wanted to say that because these are the same people who discriminate against Muslims, people of Islamic faith. All the time. Right. But it's like when it when it comes to our laws, when it comes to our beliefs, we need a law behind us so that we can do anything in the name of God or the name of the Bible. And that's wrong. And that's completely wrong. And I wanted to use that to say. So President Obama, for the first time in his presidency, made a visit to a U.S. mosque. It was in Maryland this past week. And he talked about religious tolerance. He talked about unity and he commended. Muslim Americans for standing up against terror groups like ISIS, right? All of, I mean, it was a matter of hours before the right just attacked him. The same people who are talking about we need religious freedom, they're attacking President Obama when he's literally preaching religious freedom. Please let Muslims practice their religion Freely without being attacked, without being pushed on a subway, without having to go through different um, types of discrimination and live in a world of Islamophobia, especially in our country. And then Marco Rubio was like, oh, um. This is wrong. We, it's just distracting away from ISIS, and I'm like, you know what? I, I just, it's just baffling, mind boggling. Not
3: realize, and you know, this is a Bernie Sanders line, but the best way to counteract this kind of Muslim extremism and to counteract ISIS is to use Muslims to fight though against them to fight against ISIS, and and that's a point that Bernie Sanders has made. But that's actually a, a great point and something that should be considered. And by the right, constantly bashing Muslims especially you know, law-abiding Muslims who live here in the U.S., that actually drives extremism. It doesn't quell it.
2: Let's have um, some white Christians go take on the KKK then, since that's how you're supposed to do it, since it's uh, it's, it's quote-unquote good Muslims' responsibility to fight bad Muslims. No,
3: that's not the point I was making. The point I'm saying is in the Middle East, you need Muslim troops on the ground to fight ISIS because, like Bernie says, there's a war going on about Islam, about Mm -hmm. which direction Islam. I'm not talking about here that, uh, yeah, you're misunderstanding my point. I'm okay. not saying that moderate Muslims need to apologize just like Christians need to apologize from the KKK. I'm mm-hmm. talking about literally fighting ISIS requires Muslims uh, because of the fact that there is a battle going on for the direction that Islam is okay, going. Okay, well, pardon
2: to. me then. So we do have a call on the line. We have B, Mother Love, and Barry on the air. Let's yeah. hear it, Barry.
3: Yeah,
8: well, you know, y'all changed the subject on me, uh, but y'all make a better PR than what the president has for himself right now. I'm going to be honest with you, you know. Um, but I w- I wanted to speak on something. But you always talking about Hillary at one time. Miss Cl- um, Go Ms. ahead. Cl- okay. Well, you know, um, I, so I didn't lose my whole training, Well, you know, I think it's more to it with Hillary than well, well, her <clears throat> and the money's uh the money schemes right now. I think it's more that you got more of a savvy savvy people that knows a little bit about her track record, and she's. She's really been behind a lot of stuff that's been going on in Haiti and different parts of the globe where it has undermined a lot of these here countries, you know, her and her husband, you know. And I think this is where people is really kind of, uh, you know, honing in on track record. So now by uh, Bernie Sanders bringing up, you know, the money that she's um, taken for, for, for this that, and the other, it's, it's only like only like the tip of an iceberg of stuff that people really know about about her. Person like maybe myself or some other people really don't know so much about her but other people do, you know. So I think it's more. Than just disliking Hillary, you know, or, or, you know, taking a little bit of money. It's her whole track record that's so hypocritical that makes her dangerous.
2: Thank you so much for that comment, Barry. We do have to go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll be moving on to the next conversation talking about the movie. I forgot the movie already, Selena. What's the name of it? Spotlight. Spotlight in the Catholic Church. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Pipe it up real
7: good. Pipe it up. Pipe it up. The U.S. Justice Department defines sexual assault as any type of sexual contact or behavior that occurs without the consent of the recipient. Forced sexual intercourse, forced sodomy, child molestation, incest, fondling, and attempted rape all fall under this category. Sexual assault isn't 100% preventable, but there are various ways to protect yourself against a random act of violence. Number one, be aware of your surroundings. Number two, If you feel uncomfortable around someone, leave immediately. Number three, travel with others and keep a cell phone nearby to call 911. Number four, walk near the street in a brightly lit area. Number five, carry a noise making device. If you have been sexually assaulted, Harlem Hospital, Located on One Hundred and Thirty Seventh Street between Lenox and Fifth Avenue, provides medical services and. Be
0: heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM, the voice of Harlem. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs, and of course, we have Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, we have two great guests lined up this half of the um this half of the hour to talk about. A topic that sort of isn't getting much spotlight nowadays. Now, I, I'll start off by saying this. So the Catholic population has actually uh, doubled, growing from about six six uh, hundred 600.6 million, actually over 600.6 million in 1970, to now 1.2 billion in 2013. And in 2013, statistics show there were about 400,000 priests worldwide, um, um, or Excuse me, And then um, a new John Jay College um, study came out. Actually, it came out a few years ago, but it said it examined priest sex abuse between the years of 1950 and 2002, and it found that 4% of all the priests in the priesthood have actually been accused of abusing a child. So, you know, I did the math, and I said 4% of the current population of priests equates to over 16,000 pedophile priests. And I'm giving you these statistics to say that... um, you know, back when Pope Francis was here uh, in 2015 over the summer, everyone was talking about um, the Pope, Catholicism, and of course the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal um, was was again back into back into national spotlight. But it sort of died down, except for the fact that this. Academy-nominated film, Spotlight, is do- is giving this issue some more time and attention. Now, if you have not seen the movie Spotlight, I will I highly recommend that you go see it while it is still in theaters. It already won a SAG Award, and it's up for Best Picture at the Oscars. If you will be boycotting like me, don't worry, you can Google it and find out if it won the next day. But I wanted to say that... Um, In the movie, uh, what happens is the Boston Globe actually investigates what was going on in Boston around the year 2002. Um, This was this was a time and this was a decade in which the Catholic Church wasn't really promoting or talking about the abuse that was going on um, in America and, and across the country. And it was sort of just like brushing it under the rug. They would. They would make settlements with victims. They would still. They would make sure that legal documents um, weren't in the public eye. They did. A, they took a number of measures just to keep this issue under the rug. And it was a special team in the Boston Globe, that newspaper, that said, "You know what? We're going to take some time and we're going to dedicate a couple of months of finding out what happened." And they found dozens of uh, priests who were actually abusing children, and then they found even more children who were victims of sexual abuse, rape, etc., etc. So, you know, we commend the Boston Globe because it's like, without them actually dedicating all of this time and taking this courageous stance to talk about an issue when the Catholic Church had so much control over the community, even over local governments and officials, but they said, you know what, we're gonna tackle this case and we're gonna bring it to Spotlight. Um and, and that's why then the film, I'm assuming, was named Spotlight. So you know, we actually have a very special guest on the line who appeared in the film. His name is Neil Huff. He was also a former series regular on the show, The Wire, which is very familiar to everyone. So I wanted to welcome him on the show. How you doing, Neil?
9: Good, good. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here. You did a great job in the film. Um, Yeah, and I wanted to start off by asking you, can you sort of tell us about the character that you play?
9: Yeah, I play Phil Saviano, who is the man who the uh, spotlight team brings in. He's kind of the first survivor uh, slash victim who, of, of uh, clergy abuse that he brings um, uh, quite a bit of information to them uh, in the film.
0: Right, that is exactly right. Um, so, I mean, playing a someone who is a survivor of sex abuse, but... It's a, it's a sex abuse from a priest, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm thinking this has to have an even deeper impact uh, because, you know, this is someone who is trusted in the community. Um, I remember a, a, there were a couple of lines where these priests were equated to God. That's how much power, that's how much influence they had in the community and especially over children. And it's like you can't – how can you turn away – a priest and how can you turn away god so i mean what did it take to really get into this character
9: well the more i got to know phil the more i learned and um you know just listening to that great ad before the segment started from harlem, harlem hospital about um awareness in terms of rape and uh you know measures you can take to keep yourself safe on the street and one of the things that made um, this particular situation you know for example phil so difficult uh, is that it, you know? This isn't. You're not dealing with like a standard kind of perp that you can, you know, uh, eyeball on the street. You're dealing with somebody who is just under God, you know, in the community, and someone who your family respects, you know, more than anyone else. And the person also, um, in Phil's case, really started early on uh, the process that uh, is referred to as grooming, mm-hmm. where uh, a, a bond is established. So, on the very first day that this uh, priest came into Phil's uh, kind of purview, um, he was the Monsignor for the for the school and uh, parish, and so he came into a classroom, and the nun was teaching the kids, and whenever the Monsignor comes in, everybody's supposed to stand up. And uh, Father Holly, Father David Holly, who abused Phil, uh, said, "Oh no, no, sister, sit down. So, you know, I have to sit down. Let's keep teaching, keep teaching. I want to watch your class." And as as the uh, sister uh, started, uh, you know, to teach again, uh, the priest went behind her back and started making faces, trying to make the kids laugh. So immediately, there's this. He's representing God, but then also. He's, he's sending these messages saying, I, I'm down on your level, I'm with you guys, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're together. And then it just slowly evolves into something where it's almost like the intimacy he builds up over time almost becomes an insurance policy, uh, you know, guarding the fact that a kid might not speak out. Um, it's a really insidious process, and one that Phil Saviano made very clear, the process of grooming was something that was uh, very specific to this issue.
0: You're right, guys. If you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Neil Huff. He is an actor in the Oscar nominated film Spotlight, which takes a look at the Catholic Church child abuse sca- sex scandal that has been going on for decades my co-host Alyssa, I know
3: you wanna I had a question or comment. Yeah, I think what's so frustrating about it for so many people is that the Catholic Church is an institution, and it's an institution that, in theory, is supposed to be trusted. That people put their trust into these people, and I think that it, so that manifests in twofold ways. One, it manifests in that when people do start coming forward and saying that these things are happening, a lot of people don't believe them or try and victim blame them because mm-hmm. they they hold the Catholic Church up to such a high level, and then on the second level the way that manifests itself is that then going forward the Catholic Church uses their place as a powerful institution to try and isolate themselves I think we're still seeing that today and I think that's a big criticism that people are still having of Pope Francis despite the fact that he's very well liked is that he's not doing enough to deal with this issue and so I guess Neil I'd curious to get your feedback on that whether you um, you know also agree with that and whether you think that the Pope could be doing I, 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 listen, I know that you're an actor, that you play him in the in the film, but from your perspective, do you think the Pope can and should be doing something more to deal with this issue even now today?
9: Literally today. Um, th- there's a commission, I believe it's the final day, uh, maybe three days uh, meeting of a commission that the Pope set up a few years ago uh, to protect children. And it's headed by Cardinal O'Malley, who is the cardinal from Boston. There are uh, a few survivors on this panel, and one of them is a man named Pete Saunders, uh, a a survivor of clergy abuse. And it was Pete Saunders' idea, actually, to uh, have the film Spotlight screen uh, to start off this three-day meeting, and Cardinal O'Malley okayed it. And um, there's no word back yet uh, what the response was to the film, but uh, Pope Francis was not there, but the film did screen there. So all that sounds great, right? Right. In literally yesterday, uh, Pete Saunders is suddenly being said, uh, there's reports that he's off the commission now. Um, there's a lot of, uh, it, it's too kind of thorny for me to understand just yet, it's all kind of in process, but I think Saunders' main complaint with this commission, and indeed with the Pope, when the Pope asked him to be on this commission, he said it was a life-changing experience meeting him, he felt incredibly hopeful, but there has not been anything concrete done policy-wise, change-wise, to protect children in his mind. So, you know, you you bring up a terrific point. It literally is happening right now. They're at the Vatican now discussing this, and uh, there's a lot of diverging opinions about whether or not this is a PR move um, that's the most cynical, or versus, you know, is is policy actually going to change? And it's a huge, huge question mark.
0: You're absolutely right, Neil. Um, a, a question that um, I started thinking about while watching the movie was, what, was there any pushback when ma- making this film? Um, I know when the reporters were putting this story together back in 2002, there was a lot of pushback from um, the archdiocese in Boston. Did you guys experience any pushback when trying to make this film?
9: I know that the church didn't want anybody, uh, didn't want the film filming on any church property. Um, so, but I think that was the extent of any kind of pushback. So I, I really honestly don't know more than that. I, I know that the film was supposed to be made a few years ago, like four or five years ago, and the money kind of went away. It was rolling, and then I think there were some changes in terms of uh, executives, not executives, but producers, and, and they were able to finally get the money and make it. But at one point it was happening a few years ago. I think it was very tough uh, to get made, but as far as actual overt pushback goes, I think basically they were saying, let's not, uh, you know, you can't film. Um, but but they've just kind of remained there and uh, as far as we know, um, you know, are responding positively to the film.
0: Oh, and I want to know, how is uh, how are audiences, how are the crowds, how are viewers responding to the film?
9: It's amazing. Um, I'm I'm very close with Phil Saviano, the guy I play, who started the New England chapter of Snap, which, incidentally, one of the reasons Phil Saviano is in this movie, um, when they, uh, Bly Faust and Nicole Rockland went to Spotlight members to get their life rights and tell their story, Mike Rosendi said, you've got to talk to this guy, Phil Saviano. And one of the reasons Phil is, I could go on for hours, believe me, about why Phil is in this film. He's an extraordinary man. Um, but he didn't sign a confidentiality agreement when he settled with the church. He's the only one. He's very, very sick uh, with AIDS, and uh, they thought he was going to die in all likelihood of the Worcester Diocese. He threw the Worcester Diocese as a result. He did not sign a confidentiality agreement, so he was able to just amass so much information. Um, you know, so the time he went into the Globe, he had all of this stuff kind of uh, uh, collated and organized and did all the work that the journalists do in the film,
0: Right. Um, And, you know, before we we let you go, Neil, tell us why do you feel this film is also being widely widely received by the Academy and why people should go out and see it?
9: Well, okay, so in kind of answering your your previous question as well, uh, Phil has been forwarding me responses from survivors all around the world. That response has just been breathtaking. People feel validated by this film, and that's, that's more than you could ever hope for. So honestly, I mean, just, it's just humbling, the whole response. Um, the fact that it got made, the fact that it's good, the fact that people want to see it, and the fact now that it's being in the big, big conversation about the major awards that are industry, uh, just for me means that um, there's a real possibility that this issue could really be heard on a level that it hasn't been heard before.
3: On the other side of that, Neil, have you received any—not from the Catholic Church itself as the institution, but just from people who are Catholics uh, that—and I know a few of them um, that—I have a friend uh, whose—I won't name by name, but whose mother is very staunchly Catholic and absolutely refuses to believe any of these things because, you know, she values the Church so much, she values religion so much, and her own uh, value of the Church and of her religion has sort of blinded her to this issue to the point where she doesn't believe it. Have you felt that— You've gotten any pushback from any groups like that? Um,
9: th- well, the closest I can say, well, first of all, my mom goes to church literally almost every day, and she adores the film, and she was actually livid that um, it isn't necessarily Pope Francis' fault, but that Pope Francis had an audience with Kim Davis, uh, you know, when he was here, uh, the yeah. the court clerk who was anti-gay marriage, mm-hmm. um, and she's like, why didn't Phil Saviano get audience?" That's who the Pope should be talking to. Absolutely. That, that's a woman who goes to church literally, like, almost every day, like, at least six days a week. So there's that. A good friend of hers, her best friend from college, is very conservative, Opus Dei. I mean, as conservative as it gets in the, in the Catholic Church, the, the most kind of strangely pushbacky thing I've heard from people is people who say, well, that was really an issue uh, from the 1960s and 70s, it's not really an issue anymore, that they kind of rationalize it and say, and I said to her kind of very gently, I said, well, see the film, and, you know, it. sometimes it takes people, most of the time it takes people decades to be able to talk about it, and that could be one of the reasons. No, uh, you
3: know, I think that's a great point.
0: You're absolutely right. I mean, if we think about it, most of the victims are children and they're carrying that shame and they don't always feel like there's a necessary outlet or another trusted person. There was a line in the film where someone asked this person, um, asked the victim. Why didn't you say something sooner? Why didn't you tell someone? And the victim's response was, "Who was I supposed to tell? A priest?" So I mean, exactly. and it did, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So I mean, it, it's 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 really hard, and I think that um, the I know that the Catholic Church was trying to push and fight the statues of limitations so that oh, they, boy, right? Yeah, in New
9: York especially, that's a very very complex one there. Yes, you know, New, New York is involved in that too because I, a, a good friend of mine is a Catholic priest who married my wife and I. And he said it's really interesting because not only is the Catholic Church really against the changing the statute limitations in New York State, but the state itself, because if it suddenly comes out that there's public school abuse and all kinds of uh, state-mandated therapy, they've abused people, um, then you're in a situation where New York is footing the bill. So there's a lot of people trying to protect their money in terms of statute limitation.
0: Right. You're yeah, absolutely right. And again, guys, on the line with us is Neil Huff. Um, tell our listeners how they can follow you and how, I mean, I think you should just be able to Google Spotlight and go see it to, in your theaters. But is there any other other information that you can um, distribute to our listeners right now?
9: Um, well, uh, there's a lot of info on Twitter. Um, the film is on Twitter and Facebook and uh, I'm on on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much anywhere right now. You, there's, and it's even on uh, on demand right now. I think you can see it uh, on Amazon and iTunes right now. So uh, I really encourage people, and, and honestly, anybody that's feeling slightly nervous about it, it's, it's a really profoundly inspiring film. It makes you feel a lot of adrenaline, and it's a very inspiring film.
0: I agree. Thank you so much, Neil. Um, we're going to let you go, but don't worry, guys. We're going to continue this conversation. We actually have the president of Survivors Network of those abused by priests calling in momentarily, and we'll continue to talk about the Catholic Church child abuse scandal on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. The
2: voice of Harlem.
1: Harlem, Harlem. Thank
0: you. That is Stanley Fritz. We have Alyssa Fuchs. And my name, in case you forgot, is Selena Hill. Uh, where we left off break, we were speaking with Neil Huff. He is one of the actors in Spotlight, which is a film, again, that addresses the ongoing Catholic Church child sex abuse scandal. And when we first started the segment, I wanna correct myself because the movie was named after the investigative team at the Boston Globe that uncovered this issue and made um and made this issue national and put it into, you know, Spotlight okay, so um, I and, and as I mentioned before we left on the break, we have a new guest on the line. Her name is Barbara Blaine, she is the founder and the president of the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. And the reason why um, her organization and um, the work that she does for this organization, which is called SNAP for short, uh, is so important is because they were mentioned In the film Spotlight as well, it was um, a local chapter uh, founder of Snap who pushed the Boston Globe to talk about this issue and to stop brushing it under the rug, despite how much power and, and opposition they would get from the Catholic Church. So I wanted to invite Barbara. We have her on the line, Barbara. Hi, good morning. Yes, in Chicago, it's still morning, guys, so good morning. We're here on the East Coast. Um, So, But um, the first thing that I wanted to ask ask you about, uh, Barbara, is why has the Catholic Church been able to get away with this for so long? Why did it take, you know, it seemed like it almost took to the year 2002 for this issue to finally get um, some attention? Well, I
5: think church officials wanted to keep this secret and We have learned that they've actually known for decades, and they were warned that it was widespread and systemic and that priests and other employees in the Catholic Church um, were raping children. Mm. The problem is that most people want to believe that it's all history, and we believe it's still ongoing. And the, the situation hasn't really changed, and I would challenge anyone who says that it has to come up with real concrete evidence.
0: Well, I mean, there is a lot of pushback. When I was doing my research, there are a number of articles and organizations that are saying the church has invested millions of dollars into training priests, into training children to recognize when some, when a fellow peer is being abused and if they do um, happen to endorse some type of abuse to speak up. And this is going on in Catholic schools as well as churches.
5: But that is just common sense. Um best practices that any child welfare welfare organization employs, and in fact, most schools, daycare centers, um, child protective services, they started those types of programs in the 80s and certainly by the early 90s. So for the Catholic Church to be touting that in 2012, 2016, it's really pathetic, and they're patting themselves on the back for doing what they should have been doing for decades – while they continue to conceal and cover up the sex crimes. And the situation that's happening right now over in the Vatican this weekend that Neil Huff just mentioned is is an exact example of this.
2: This is like a restaurant bragging because they now require their employees to wash their hands. Yes. Like, it's not that big of a deal.
3: You know, I actually want to go back a second, Barbara. Um, you know, and and ask the a question that it should be asked maybe at very at the very very beginning, which is why do you think that there are so many of these uh, priests that have uh, either always been abusers or who have become abusers in the Roman Catholic Church now. Obviously, we can see bad apples in all different types of religious groups, but we have not seen this type of scandal, say, uh, in different Protestant denominations um, like Lutherans, such as, um, you know, Methodists. Like, what is it about the Catholic Church that seems to make this problem so specific to the Catholic Church? Or is it not about the Catholic Church? Is this maybe going on in other churches or other temples or other mosques? um, Or is this a problem that's specific to the Roman Catholic Church? And if it is, why? Well, I think it's
5: really important to recognize that sexual violence against children or the vulnerable does happen any place where there is unbridled authority without accountability. And that's what we have in the Catholic Church. But the one thing that's very different is that in the Catholic Church, when a priest or a bishop is found um, to be violating children or vulnerable adults, what happens is that that priest or bishop is merely moved to a new location. They're not fired. They're not kicked out of the ministry. And um, unfortunately, what that has done is allowed perpetrators to go on and continue to abuse children for decades. That's what happened for, in my particular case, where the priest started abusing me back in 1969 when I was 12, turning 13, and the thing is, is that he was, permi- what I learned later, is that the church officials knew he was doing this before he got to me, and he was permitted to remain in ministry until 1992, when I was invited to be on the Oprah show. And the producers had contacted the church officials in Toledo, Ohio, my hometown, and um, And it was only because I had warned them that I was going to go on the show and that I was going to tell that they removed my perpetrator. Wow,
0: that That is... is you know, you know, Barbara, um, I, I want to give people out there who are listening and have a, a question or a comment, a chance to call in. The number is 212-650-6903. Off air, Alyssa and I were talking and Alyssa had the question of, well, what is it that's attracting these pedophiles into the Catholic Church? And that leads into something that I've been dying to ask. And, and that is, um, you know, if we, if we look at Catholicism and the priests and the nuns, they have to take this vow of celibacy. And this is something that the movie Spotlight does address. And according to statistics, about 50% of all Catholic uh, clergy are not celibate. Most of them are having sex with adults, but then you have a large group of pedophile priests in there as well. Is there something that's going on? Is there some type of link or study that shows that a a connection between celibacy and pedophilia?
5: Um, I don't believe that there is. In fact, what they they say is that, um, that, that they're, they haven't seen, haven't pointed to an exact correlation, but there is no question that that vow of celibacy creates an environment that wherein secrecy and denial fester, and that's the exact kind of environment for a sexual perpetrator to um, continue to go after more and more
0: victims. Right, guys, and if you're just tuning in, again the number is two one two six five zero six nine zero three and there was um, another point in the movie where um, the word um, um, it was called uh, a phenomenon right or the fact that there are so many priests um, victimizing young children um can, can you talk about how this is sort of um, been happening over and over again
5: well sure what happens is and um, and I think it's important to recognize that you were quoting Uh, study that was done in 2004, but um, there have been ongoing studies to update that every year and now if you were to look at those same statistics um, based on the church officials' own admission, the percentage of perpetrators is actually around 6%, not just 4%. But at any rate, it's, it's far more often than people want to believe. And It's really simple when you think about it. You know, um, we don't need a commission or any studies. Everyone knows when there's sex and a child and an adult that it's a crime, and we should call the police. But the Church tries to make this somehow so complex, and, you know, that's what this commission is over there in the Vatican this weekend studying. But the very fact that they set up a, a commission that, you know, Pope Francis is doing this, and he was heralded as this hero when he was here back in September, as you said, because he was going to set up a tribunal and that he had this commission, but it's really deceptive. Because... It, is,
0: it is deceptive. Um, we have on the line with us Barry, who would like to let his voice be heard on this very important topic. Barry, go ahead.
8: Yes, I, I want to call because you do, and something dawned on me when you asked about celibacy factor. and I, I think, Melissa, you were saying that you were doing some research on this subject?
3: No, I I wasn't were you
2: researching celibacy.
3: No, I think we were no. just asking our guest the question.
8: Okay, uh, one of y'all said y'all was doing some research on the background. Somebody's here, the statistics of this stuff. You know, but my question was this here is um, okay. Speaking of celibacy, there's a lot of nuns that celibate. Is, is the, have there been any statistics on uh, the same things happening to, with the nuns and the young ladies or you know the, the girls? Uh,
0: Barbara, can
5: you
2: answer that? Hearing. Barbara.
5: Yes, there have been many, um, there are cases where nuns are abusing boys and girls and that has not received as much attention as the priest abuse, but it, um, and we don't know how prevalent it is, but we have many members in SNAP who were abused by nuns and they are welcome to be members and can find hope and healing.
3: So, you know, actually, that brings me to another point, which is we talked about accountability and the Catholic Church, as you said, when uh, an adult has sex with a child, that is a crime and the Catholic Church tries to muddy up the waters to make it seem as though for some reason, let's do a tribunal and that might not be a crime or whatever, whereas a common sense person can say, yeah, that's a crime. Um, Do you have any numbers on how many priests have actually been prosecuted for sex abuse? And I'm going to go out on the limb and say, I'm going to presume it's a low number, uh, and if it is a low number, why not more?
5: Well, if you go with just what the church officials are willing to admit to, um, less than 2% of our perpetrators have been criminally prosecuted. Wow. And um, you're right, and when you said you suspect it's low, you are very correct, it is low, and they... Get away with it because they can. Because who wants to, who wants to really challenge or call? I mean, um, like, look at the popularity of Pope Francis th- today. Um, does any is anyone ready to po- po- call him out for enabling and, and harming more? I mean, allowing more children to be hurt. I don't think so. We we want to believe that that he's a hero. So. We turn our head the other way, but... Children remain at risk
0: today. Um, You know what, Barbara? That actually leads me to something else I wanted to bring up before we uh, close this segment. And that is, um, you know, Alyssa brought up how Pope Francis came to um, Philadelphia and he was um, in the U.S. this summer. And one of the things he did talk about was he said, and I quote, God um, weeps, right? And he was talking about God weeps for the sexual abuse of children. But from my perspective, it seems like the church and the pope haven't done much more than simply just speak. About the child abuse and acknowledge that it exists, and it, it seems like maybe you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, maybe some of the irresponsible practices that have been going into effect for so long, um, it, it seems like they're being continued in some way, and that's what's um, is is sort of allowing this problem to um, continue. I wanted to ask you: Do you um, do you agree with that? And what are some of the steps and things that the Catholic Church should be doing to prevent? Uh, these scandals
3: and also to compensate the victims?
5: Well, I mean clearly there should be justice for the victims but um, and that hasn't happened by and large. For the most part, most victims receive no compensation. but um, when you when you ask what should the church do, it's really simple. Um, Pope Francis and the people in the Vatican should begin by just opening all their records about sex crimes and turn them over to police. They should post the names, of the credibly accused perpetrators on their websites and let people know the history of these dangerous men. And they should they should be rewarding whistleblowers who speak out instead of firing them. And, you know, like Pete Saunders yesterday was fired from that commission over there in the Vatican because he was speaking out. and um, And they still want to maintain secrecy instead of protecting children. And it's not, just, it's not just me who's saying this or people in our organization of SNAP, but also there have been two independent investigations done by committees at the United Nations, the Committee on the Rights of the Child and the Committee Against Torture, and they have found the exact same patterns of, of cover-up, of putting the protection of children ahead of, I mean, putting the protection of the perpetrators ahead of protecting the children. And considering that they continue with that behavior, um, it's no wonder that perpo- that it that it's still ongoing.
0: Um, Barbara, I, I just um, want to thank you so much again for your advocacy on this issue, uh, for being a survivor yourself and going back and helping those who may not have found their voices yet to speak up, um, and, and and also for coming on our show today. Please let our listeners know how they can get further in touch with you and support your organization.
5: Well, they can get in touch with us at our website, snapnetwork.org, um, and if they wanted to make a donation to SNAP, they can... Um, merely send a text with the word survive to the phone number 80077 and that will give ten dollars to the organization and um, allow and it will just be charged to the person's telephone bill.
0: Right. And uh, Alyssa, did you have some other information to
3: add? No, I was just going to say we'll make sure to tweet that out for you.
0: All right. Thank you again, Barbara, for joining us here today. And I just wanted to, to close off by saying, um, you know, just repeating what the, the underlying theme here was today. And it's if this is something that Barbara said. Instead of protecting ourselves and and protecting the church and protecting this institution and protecting children's jobs, we're doing that more than protecting our own children. And that is extremely, extremely problematic. There was a certain time when the Catholic Church would actually implement smear campaigns to discredit victims. I mean, it's just, it it goes on for decades and, and decades. And then we wonder why there's so much, you know, different type of, you know, violence in the world and and people have all these different types of problems, etc. And it's like, well... If you're traumatized as a child, how do you and you can't speak out, and then you're discredited, and then you're victim blamed? How do you expect that adult to, to to become a productive member of society? We're creating these quote unquote bad apples and and the type of society that we see today by simply not protecting children. I mean, it, it's that's their foundation. That's where people get their foundation, and that's what determines a lot of times who they become as adults. So I, I just wanted to say that, and I think that another step that the Catholic the church could definitely take is requiring all the reports of sexual abuse to actually be turned over to secular uh, authorities a lot of times they try to keep it in-house right and a lot of times we see things going on that may be wrong on the train or in our households or or with our neighbors and we always want to keep it quiet but that silence hurts somebody right and that's why it's so important for us all to be heard especially when it comes to protecting the most vulnerable members of our society children And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Alyssa's coming back with the quickie. Don't go anywhere.
3: We are back. So, speaking of protecting children, that's a good segue for us to talk about the Zika virus, because uh, one of the things that the Zika virus may be affecting is the development of infants in pregnant women. Uh, so, uh, the Zika virus—that's what we're here talking about today. Last week, the World Health Organization declared Zika virus an outbreak. Uh, sorry, the Zika virus outbreak a quote-unquote public health emergency of international concern. Until last year, Zika was confined to only Africa and Asia, but in 2015, the disease disease made the leap to the western hemisphere and has now affected more than a million people in brazil the virus has also been identified in 20 other countries and experts expect that if it hasn't already come to the u.s it will be here by the summer the virus causes fairly mild symptoms in adults but doctors are suspecting that it can be passed to unborn fetuses and they are now seeing a spike in birth defects that are correlated with the spread of zika in January, the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which is the CDC, issued a travel alert that American women of childbearing age, whether they are pregnant or not, should avoid countries where the Zika virus has been circulating. That has created more concern because the Olympics this 2016 Summer Olympics are going to be held in Brazil, and many Americans have already made travel plans to go to these Olympics. In addition, in countries that already have Zika outbreaks, especially in countries uh, second world countries where protection can sometimes be hard to come by, uh, women are being told to avoid getting pregnant for the next two years. So what exactly is Zika? Zika is a disease, sorry, it's a virus that was first discovered in 1947 and until 2007 there had only been about 14 or 15 reported cases of it. It is a tropical disease that's carried from person to person by mosquito bites and until recently it was rare and it was considered rare and benign. Uh, it is mainly carried by a specific type of mosquito. This is a mosquito called an Andes aegypti, which spreads the disease through its bites. The Andes aegypti is not the type of mosquito we have here in the United States in 32 states. In fact, that is called the Andes albopictus mosquito. However, there is new information that says that this mosquito we have here in 32 states can also transmit the virus. There's also some evidence that people can be infected with Zika through sexual intercourse, blood transfusions, and mother to fetus during pregnancy. Why is Zika spreading now? Many believe it's linked to climate change and to globalization. Mosquitoes thrive in warm and moist environments, so changes in precipitation patterns and temperature are helping mosquitoes survive in places they couldn't survive before. In addition, when it comes to globalization, we are seeing increased traveling around the globe by people, and we have more people living in crowded cities where it's easy for viruses to jump person to person because people are living in close proximity, allowing mosquitoes to bite them and then easily go bite somebody else. Um, Furthermore, should we be worried? This is the part Selena wants me to answer the most. Well, until recently, researchers didn't think Zika was that worrisome. In fact, 80% of people who get the virus don't develop any symptoms at all. Most people who get it don't even realize they have it, and they never seek any medical attention. But for everyone else... 20%, the symptoms are usually mild. Rash, red eyes, headaches, pain in your joints and bones, and a low gray fever. More rarely, you might have some abdominal pain, some nausea, and some diarrhea. And the symptoms typically show up between 3 and 12 days after your initial mosquito bite, and they go away with about a week. Hospitalization is very uncommon, and death is extremely rare. But scientists are now wondering if they've actually underestimated the dangers of Zika because it now may be linked to birth defects in newborns. Brazil, which is having a large widespread problem with Zika right now, is seeing more and more newborns being born with what's called microcephaly. Microcephaly is a congenital condition that is associated with a small head and incomplete brain development. When Brazilian researchers started studying the amniotic fluid, which is the fluid inside a woman's womb, they found that... Baby That babies that are born with microcephaly uh, corresponds with women who had Zika virus in their amniotic fluid. Uh, although the CDC has been careful to say that they're not certain Zika causes birth defects and cases still need to be concern, uh, confirmed, experts are now thinking that this is no coincidence. So... What can we do to stay safe and is there a cure? Well, currently there is no vaccine or medicine to prevent Zika because it is a virus. So the best way to prevent getting Zika is to avoid mosquitoes and to avoid going to countries where the virus has been circulated. However, sometimes you can just... You can't just avoid mosquitoes. Even in New York, we have tons of mosquitoes and we can't avoid them. So the CDC recommends that when you are in areas with mosquitoes, you take precautions to protect yourself from getting bitten a lot by wearing mosquito repellent, using screens in your windows to keep mosquitoes outside your home, wearing long pants and long shirts if you're going to be in a mosquito infested area, and making sure you don't have any standing water because standing water is where mosquitoes breed. The CDC is also telling pregnant women to avoid regions where Zika is circulating. As I said, this could pose a problem because of the upcoming Summer Olympics in Brazil, uh, and telling women in Latin American countries not to get pregnant, sometimes for two years. Uh, in addition, when it comes to what governments can do and what health officials can do, they can treat bodies of water with larvicide to eliminate mosquito breeding sites, and they can ha- spray pesticides for adult mosquitoes with fumigation to help kill them off. And as to what you can do about your home, Uh, Mosquitoes prefer small bodies of water Around people's homes So you should keep your yard clean and in shape You should get rid of any debris Or things outside your home That may be able to hold standing water In order to prevent mosquitoes from breeding And during the summer You should make sure that you have screens in your windows And doors to prevent mosquitoes from entering your home And you should definitely use AC To the extent that you have air conditioning Because having the windows closed And having this AC on Keeps mosquitoes out of your home And that's what you need to know about the Zika virus Thank you for that, Alyssa
0: For breaking it down and quelling my fears and paranoia. I appreciate that. So, we won't have the apocalypse. After all. All right, guys. So we want to thank everyone for tuning in, calling in, tweeting us, and joining our show. If you missed the show and want to watch it or listen to it again, subscribe to our iTunes at LYVBH Radio. We also archive all of our shows on our website at LYVBH.com. And if you miss us that much, stay tuned. We'll be back next Sunday, which will be Valentine's Day. And we have a very special guest who will be coming on. I will tease it via social media later on this week. Bye, guys. fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress.
1: I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy, Alabama, Mama Louisiana. I'm gonna mix that Negro with that Creole like a Texan battle.